Welcome to the Ren Experience where we celebrate those making a difference in our times and inspire you to do the same. To achieve that, we have been analyzing our data and realized that 93% of our audience haven't yet subscribed to the channel. If you enjoy our content and find value, kindly do me a favor by subscribing to the channel. Your subscription helps us grow and gives us the power to bring you the guests that you want to see on the show. In keeping up with that, we'd like to thank our today's sponsors, Megatrust Inc. Megatrust Inc. is a company that empowers individuals like yourself and organizations to create an impact in their community by investing in them. Check out the website today, www.megatrustinc.com. That's www.megatrustinc.com to see how they can help you achieve your goal. Well, um, hello, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Real pleasure to connect with you. So your name, Mimi, is it a Swahili name? Because it also has a, a meaning in Swahili. That's true. Um, no, it's actually not a Swahili name at all. Um, it's um, it's just a name, you know, like how sometimes you grow up and your parents start calling you something um, and then it kind of sticks. So it doesn't mean anything specific. It's just, it's just Mimi, basically. Just Mimi. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever tried to assign any meaning to it? I haven't. I haven't. That's actually a good idea. I might look into that. I don't know what kind of meaning I would assign to it, though, because it's quite... Sorry, let me start again. Apologies. No problem. Just need to put that on. Um, yeah, I've never tried to assign any meaning to it, but I think that's actually quite a good idea. What do you think I should... Uh, what do you think the meaning of it should be? Well, in Swahili, it means I. Yeah. Uh, well, you're a storyteller. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe a storyteller. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting because I think also in French, it's like, a, a, um, you know, it stands for, it's a smaller version of like mignon which means cute. So it's like, maybe I, I'll combine all three meanings, like I, storyteller, cute. You know, I am a cute storyteller. I don't know. <laughs> I think it could work. It could work. And it, it's quite interesting because it's a simple name for people to pronounce, you know, unlike most African names that most of the time people end up butchering them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty straightforward. But my African name, my real name is Tunga. Tunga, which which means? Yeah. Tunga in Kinyaranda. You speak Kinyaranda, right? I wish I did. I mean, I've been in the country for almost three years and uh, all I can say is I'm a Kurunesa. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. So Tunga basically means um, to look after, um, to bring prosperity and wealth. Um, so it's essentially like someone who's a caregiver in every sense of the word, like financial, mm. you know, physical, if you're a mom, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's got a, a really good um, meaning that I think is, uh, is actually probably more appropriate to what I do than Mimi. But like you said, Mimi is easy to pronounce. Everybody can say it. Most people remember it. No one can butcher it. So we'll go with Mimi for now. Um, so you said it aligns a little bit with what you're doing and uh, you're into storytelling and, you know, um, you're a narrative curator. Is that right? Is it right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. I've never described myself as a narrative curator, but I'll borrow that from you. Um, don't sue me. It's going to become my new tagline. So I'm a narrative curator. Um, and yeah, so I tell stories for, um, other people's stories. I've always been super interested in stories. I've always been interested in, and, you know, coming from Africa in particular, like where stories and storytelling is embedded in our traditions and the way that we do things, you know, you think about parables, you think about like African proverbs, how your grandmother or your parents passed down certain values to you or um, things that they needed you to know about how the world works we usually do that through storytelling 
it's not a uniquely African skill because I think human beings in general tell stories all the time. But I think in Africa, we have a really interesting and a deeper understanding of the power of storytelling. Um, and that's how our history is passed down from generation to generation. So um, I've always had a passion for the impact of great stories, how they're told and how they can impact people for years and years to come. So for me, it's uh, um, uh, it's 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 really a passion that I've had since I was a very small child. Most of us grow up hearing stories, and it's mm. interesting how we usually lose touch with that side of 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 ourselves when we grow up, and we don't become storytellers anymore, and we just speak for the sake of speaking. Was there anything in particular that attracted you to say, you know what, um, well, I want to move forward in this direction and become a storyteller? Yeah, so I don't know that we necessarily lose touch. We just don't do it consciously, right? Because, I mean, you're still telling stories every day in the work. How do you convince people to do certain things or to see certain things uh, from a particular point of view? It's through stories, right? And when you think about the world of business, when you think about your family, et cetera, you're constantly coming up with stories that you tell people to get them to see things a certain way. So for me, it's really, um, I don't think we lose touch. I just think that we stop doing it strategically, right? So I think um, I think for me, it's about, uh, you know, I, I, I've always been aware of the fact that stories are told all the time. I just switched to how do I do it strategically with a specific purpose in mind? And the purpose for me goes back to uh, being able to tell stories, to move clients' objectives forward. It goes back to being able to tell stories, to move the African narrative forward, uh, or to tell a more positive narrative of Africa. Um, so it's about like storytelling for storytelling's sake versus storytelling with a strategic purpose and objective in mind. If anyone follows you on LinkedIn and they're listening to this right now, they'll know how often you post about what's going on in the continent and how you try mm. to ensure that more people are able to hear what's going on. Do you think there was a deliberate effort in ensuring that African stories, especially successful African stories, are hidden from the media or from the masses? Well, I always think that there's an agenda to everything. Um, and I think that... Um, you know, when a number of different things. First, um, you know, what I always say, whoever owns the mic owns the message. I think you actually posted that on your LinkedIn one time. Thank you for that. <laughs> and I deeply believe in that because I think that whoever owns the platform that the stories are told on gets to curate and to choose which stories are told and for what purpose. So I really am also such a strong advocate of ownership of media platforms by Africans themselves if we're going to be able to tell our own stories. And um, and so I'm very pleased that we're, we get to live in a time where you can start your own media platform by having this podcast. You know, I use my social media platforms as my mic um, to be able to amplify African stories and others uh, in the ecosystem of narrative building and storytelling have their own platforms. So the digital access that we now have makes it so much easier for us to be able to tell the stories that we want to tell. But yes, absolutely. Previously, um, when you look at the ownership of the media, it was very, very scant in terms of I mean, how many Africans do you know owned any sort of media platforms, whether it's broadcast, print, digital, or whatever, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So it's no surprise then that the narrative of the continent was muffled and that it followed a specific agenda based on the politics of the time, the economic dynamics of the time and the social fabric of the societies in which we lived. So, um, but that's changing um, and it, I'm very, very happy to see it change. Yeah, it's changing. And I think more and more young people are now, you know, taking it, in the internet to start, um, you know, plat to start 
to create uh, platforms that give them the, an opportunity to be able to tell their stories, which is quite um, and it's really inspiring to see, right? Given given the history that we have had with, you know, the way African stories were portrayed or they are told, and recently, exactly. recently Idris Elba met with uh, Samia Sulu Hassan, the president of Tanzania. And they had a conversation and he pointed out that he might be interested in, you know, uh, building a studio in Tanzania. Do you think we need more people who have an origin from the continent to come back and do such things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually posted that today on my LinkedIn about uh, the conversation between Idris Elba and the president of Tanzania. And I think that it's really fantastic we need more of those things but also we have to ask ourselves right i mean when you look at tanzania and this particular opportunity what is the uh, environment that has been created in tanzania to allow for this opportunity to happen in the first place so it's fantastic of course i mean the question the answer to your question is of course we want more people to come back to the continent and do things like that however we also have to take responsibility in terms of creating the type of ecosystems, environments, and infrastructure that allows for those things to happen. Because we can't just go out there and say, you know, please come and invest. Sorry, I lost you there. Yeah, I think I lost you for a second. So you're saying you explain. Well, yeah. Well, exactly what happened. I, I actually lost you for a few seconds because I had load shedding. Um, and this is a big phenomenon that's happening in South Africa. So actually, this goes back to exactly what we're talking about, interestingly enough, that if we're going to ask people to come and invest and do things like Idris Elba is doing in Tanzania and et cetera, we have to be ready to be able to provide the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure, the uh, financial support, the social uh, environment where they can come and thrive. So, um, you know, that, that is, that is very, very important. So I think it's a two-way street. Yes, we want them to come, but then what are we doing to make sure that our countries are ready to be able to receive them and to create an environment where they can do their best work? I agree with you because you can't have challenges such as load shedding when you're creating massive studios, right? That wants to serve the, the continent. Like this. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So those are very, very important things. We need to realize that it's a two-way street. We're pushing for additional investment. We're pushing for tourism. Like, let's take tourism, for example. So post-COVID, we know that tourism is um, a high um, uh, investment-generating uh, opportunity for the continent. Um, I live in South Africa, and I know that we could definitely do with all the tourists that we could potentially get. It's a huge contributor to the economy, and so it is for the rest of the continent. But when we start talking, for example, about travel around the continent, you know, for me to get from Johannesburg to Abidjan or to Dakar or wherever, it's sometimes a complete nightmare, you know, um, and 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 perhaps, you know, in some instances, it might be easier for me to fly to Paris and then come back into the continent or go by Dubai to get to any part of the continent. So when you're talking about attracting more tourists, how is that going to work? Um, so we have to ask ourselves very practical questions, you know, in terms of what are our goals? How do we want to achieve them? And then what do we need to do in terms of building the environment that allows us to reach our objectives? And they still, we, we still have a long way to go in that regard because even some of the countries that have created region, regional blocks in the continent, such as this African community, for example, right? DRC and Rwanda, they're in the same regional block, but still we are seeing conflicts among these regional, I mean, among these countries that are in the same regional block. And it's like, well, if they're in the same block and they have these challenges, then, you know, what about the rest of the countries? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, those are definitely very real issues. So on the one hand, you know, like one of the things that we always say in communications and specifically because my focus in communications is public relations, is that, you know, contrary to popular belief, we're not spin doctors. We cannot fabricate narratives and stories that are completely contrary to the reality of what's happening on the ground. 
So when we do communications, when we do marketing, when we push for certain narratives, there has to be a reflection of that in real life, in the realities that we live on the continent as well. So um, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I think my my um, what gives me hope is that I see more, more of that happening on the continent, right? Collaboration. Africa is pro probably more peaceful than it's ever been in its history um, in terms of the numbers of conflicts uh, that are happening across the continent. Uh, we're more economically prosperous. We're also more, um, uh, I suppose, positive about the trajectory of the continent. There are more Afro-optimists out there, you know, whereas before we lived in an environment of Afro-pessimism, now we're more optimistic ourselves as Africans about where the continent is going, what we can achieve together, etc. So those are really great beginnings, I think, to um, to getting to where we want to go eventually. How important is storytelling? In what role does storytelling plays in in that in that regard? Well, storytelling first, you know, I mean, I'm sure I can ask you and I can ask myself some questions about Africa and we wouldn't be able to answer them. I mean, there's 54 countries on the continent. You know, do we know even ourselves before we even start talking to everybody else about what a wonderful continent it is? Let's look inwards because charity starts at home. How much do you know about Egypt or Burkina Faso or Benin or Mali or even Nigeria or Tanzania or even Rwanda where you live. There's so much to know about our history, where we come from, the things that we've been able to overcome, the challenges, but also the opportunities that we have on this continent. So I think storytelling starts there. Um, in terms of shaping our own perceptions about the continent that we love um and understanding it better and being able to storytelling also gives us the tools to be able to articulate those stories package those stories market those stories for the rest of the world to consume but even though and if you look at you know kind of the platforms that i've created Really, the platforms that I've created are targeted towards Africans first. And everybody else who ends up coming there and interacting and engaging is absolutely welcome. But um, I believe that we need to educate ourselves first. So my goal is let me share with you as much as I know about what's happening on the continent that I think is really positive engage and share back with me as well so that I can continue to become educated about the continent. And then hopefully, if a lot of us do that, there's going to come a point where there's a critical mass of African stories and positivity about this continent that will then start to shift perceptions. And one of the things that I always say is that narrative builds perceptions and perceptions lead to behavior and what kind of behavior do we want in the end the type of behavior that we want in the end is more people coming to africa to invest is more people visiting us as tourists is us being able to have even bigger seats at the table within the global community to advocate for our own interests those are the types of behavior but those behaviors are impeded by the current perception of what Africa has to offer and what we're all about. And that's why for me, as opposed to addressing just the behavior, and there's plenty of people who do that, um, and I'm a huge supporter, or just addressing the perceptions, I address the narrative that leads to the perceptions that then leads to the behavior. If you look at countries like the US, what they have been able to accomplish is using movies to share their narrative. And for Africa, what media, what tool are we going to use to be able to achieve, to achieve the same goal? 
all of the above, all of the, the tools that are available. Um, I mean, look at how Nollywood has just exploded over the last couple of years. I mean, we're really almost rivaling Hollywood. I mean, you know, we're not quite there, but we're doing so well in terms of building this movie industry on the continent. We're also, um, you know, you've seen recently, you know, just the explosion of African literature, you know, from writers such as Chimamanda uh, to others like, you know, I mean, African literature is becoming, um, is consumed um, on, uh, by the mainstream, um, you know, reader now. It's not just kind of a niche uh, category of African literature. It's really starting to spread its wings across. And then the other thing also, I mean, I'm such a big fan, probably because of my own background in the creative industries, having done the work that I did at MTV, having done the, you know, I spent a lot of time working within the creative industries with artists, musicians, et cetera. I really believe that there's no one at the moment who has a bigger platform globally than African musicians. Look at what Burna Boy has been able to achieve, Wizkid is doing in his space. I mean, Mr. Easy, especially, you know, I mean, from all, I'm, I'm just, you know, naming the ones that I listen to because I'm literally obsessed by Afrobeat and Nigerian music at the moment. But across the board, from Kenya to Tanzania to DRC, I mean, uh, Congolese music is incredible and, um, and uh, received worldwide. I mean, these guys are filling up stadiums from London to the US to Paris to wherever. So they have tremendous platforms. And I think that that's how bit by bit we're able to use those kinds of tools, those creative tools that we have um, to really start to build the kind of narrative of the continent that we're looking to build. So what has Afrobeat managed to achieve such that it brought uh, so such that it was able to put Afrobeats on the global stage that we can learn and copy it in other things. So I think you know first is is what I found um, that's really interesting about Afrobeat is that it's true to itself. You know, timing has a very important role to play in when how things happen, right? And I think that that cannot be ignored. I often talk about leadership and how leadership is time sensitive and is contextual um, because maybe my type of leadership would not have been, and what I'm doing, would not even have had a single impact 20 years ago or 10 years ago, but is relevant for where the world is right now. And it might not even be relevant in 10 or 20 years from now. So you also have to put things within a context, like when did Afrobeat come on the scene? Because Afrobeat is an, evo um, is an evolution of a type of music that existed before. So when you talk about the Felakutis, before Felakuti, there was somebody else and before, you know, way before my generation. So it's an evolution. But what makes Afrobeat specifically stick now is because it's also come across the Burner Boys and WizKids, et cetera, have come along at a time when globally our mindset, perhaps because of the proliferation of digital platforms and social media, people have access to, if you're sitting in New York and you're a musician and you're looking for inspiration, et cetera, that's just at the end of your laptop. Whereas before, how would you even know what kind of music they're making in Nigeria? But now you have access to that. So there's something to be said about timing. There's something to be said about increased access to one another, to people across the globe that you might never have met who can influence the work that you're doing. And then there's something to be said about being unafraid to be oneself. I mean, Burna Boy is not changing Burna Boy to fit what Beyonce is doing. If anything, Beyonce will shift what she's doing or adapt herself to what Burna Boy is doing to be able to make that work. So I think that there's something about staying true to oneself as well. That's definitely one lesson that we can learn. And then also the other thing I'd like to add is 
just marketing, you know? I mean, there's a, when you look at somebody like Whiskit or Burnaboy, there's a huge marketing machine that's operating behind them that's actually pushing the product out there because we've seen, and this is something we need to keep re-emphasizing, that there's a lot of money to be made in the creative industries. You know, if you're able to reach the right people at the right time, at the right cost, with the right marketing strategy. So I also think that um, there's, you know, for me, these guys should be case studies for anybody who works in communications or marketing to say, what are the marketing strategies that they're employing to be able to have the reach that they have? I also like the fact that these artists who are now in the global stage are also looking back and lifting other young artists. And it's, it's amazing how there's that camaraderie of people lifting each other. Because that's what we need. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful. It's the it's the the whole looking back and being able to lift others up. But I also think it's the whole diversity diversity and the diversification of skills and merging of different industries. So I don't know if you've been following, you know, the trajectory of of um, Mr. Easy, for example. He's one of the biggest. Nigerian artist at the moment. And he started essentially a fund where he invests in African artists that are up and coming, you know, promotes them, puts them on the world stage, and is able to get a return as an actual investor. That's a new way of thinking. It's not just about the music, but it's like I'm thinking about this artist and, and their brand potentially as a business. And I'm going to come in as an investor expecting a return. And in order for me to um, to be able to increase my equity in this investment, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. So you can also see that the mindset, even in the music industry, is really starting to shift from music just being an art that, you know, the whole starving artist narrative, like we're just going to do art and put music out there and people are going to love it and enjoy it. To this is an actual viable business that deserves an investment and return on investment. So that's a new thing altogether. So I'm loving the way that mindsets are shifting um, across the board, really. And they have to, right? Because yeah, if they think of it as business, then they're able to invest more and also produce quality content in this regard. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. As as a PR, um profession what what is it exactly that you do for those who might not know I don't even know what I do to be honest um sometimes I'm like what is it that I do again it's so diverse um I think the way that I would summarize it is that we strategically manage reputations um we strategically manage reputations and by the, the way that we do that is through various tools, whether it's through media, whether it's through um, digital um, marketing, uh, whether it's through events, building people's thought leadership. Essentially what we do is we work with our clients to be able to identify their value proposition, what makes them different, help them understand the message that they want to get out into the market, understand who they want that message to reach in terms of their stakeholders and the audiences that they target. And then finally, we help deploy a strategy to be able to strategically manage their reputation and their brand. And is this something that you also enjoy doing? Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's been, I've done it in some ways in, you know, probably for 26 years now. So on the one hand, you know, I started my career, you know, like um, in front of the camera, uh, but that, you know, like working for MTV and Channel O and all of that stuff, that was really a different kind of PR because I was essentially pushing the brands of the artists that I was showcasing, right? So that's one way of doing it. Then I became a content producer and I told stories through documentaries, behavior change content and all of that kind of stuff. And then eventually I went into pure public relations, strategic communications. So um, it's I've touched on communications and PR, you know, in various forms over the last 26 years. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that I enjoy doing. 
are you also interested in in human nature? Uh, because in regards to everything that you have been saying, I think in a way it also mm. requires you to be able to understand how people think and how they make mm. the decisions they make so that you can see, okay, cool. So this is how I can, you know, tell the narrative or this is how I can structure it or this is how I can communicate with them for impact. Definitely, definitely. Well, you can't be a, a good PR person without understanding or even being interested in human nature because the whole idea is to we're communicating to humans. So the big question that we're constantly facing is how do we incentivize people to action? In order to incentivize people to action, you need to understand what inspires them. You need to understand the type of things, you know, I was just speaking to, you know, I have a young lady who's working with me this week. Um, she's going to college uh, next month and she's spending some time with us in the office this week. And uh, I was just giving her an example on social media, for example, to say, you know, if my target audience is female entrepreneurs living in South Africa, working in South Africa, between the ages of 25 and 45, and that's the target audience that we're going for. And we want to create the type of content on social media that speaks to them. Um, even issues such as timing is important because if I'm a young entrepreneur and I'm hustling to get my business off the ground or to scale, the likelihood that I'm going to be on Twitter scrolling through my feed at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday, that's probably not gonna happen. So you have to understand like what is happening in people's lives? How are they reacting based on the general information that you have of them so that you can speak to them at a time when it makes sense to them with the kind of content that makes sense to them that they want to engage with, et cetera. So, I mean, human behavior and human nature is very, very, very important. And it fascinates me a lot. And the fact that mm. there are times that people can, you know, make decisions and they don't even know why they made the decisions that they made. It's something that really yeah. and how yeah. powerful the media or storytelling is in terms of being able to influence people to take certain action. Um, mm. Sometimes without even people realizing it, it's just mind blowing. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. So give me an example of what you're speaking about. An example. Um, let me see. Okay. For example, in when you're using, um, what is it? Okay. For example, when you're using, let's say TikTok, right? Mm, I'm mm. scrolling. Well, mm. when you start, before you start, well, when you just get started, then most of the content mm. that you're gonna get probably content that you don't really like, right? Right. And keep on scrolling the more time you spend oh. on the contents that you like then the algorithm does its its thing and then the next yeah. thing you know gives you, you more yeah you more, right mm -hmm. and let's assume you have been learning i mean watching videos that tells you well the earth is flat right mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. it's gonna be pumping that type of video to you right and at the end right. of the day, you, you're only seeing one side of the story right so you don't know the other perspectives and you might be confident enough to stand in front of people and tell them the earth is flat and give them the evidence that you had gotten from the videos that you've been watching. Right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's so interesting that you say that and I'm glad you gave that example because I find that sometimes with, uh, specifically with social media, there's an issue in terms of critical thinking. So it's almost like removed from us, like the ability to think critically for some people, like, you know, so um, one of the things I've always been fascinated about, and this is also goes, goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like, how do we drive the narrative of Africa forward? Um, I think that an absolute must have course at university level should be critical thinking. Um, you know, I went to NYU, that's where I went to school, and you couldn't graduate until you took critical thinking as a course. It was a mandatory course. And all critical thinking is, is something that basically the, what the course was all about was really getting you to question everything. 
and ask the right questions. I always say the quality of the answers that you get is going to depend on the quality of the questions that you ask. So we really need to learn as a society to be able to ask the right questions. But before we even get to asking the right questions, we just need to learn to ask questions, period. So I think what you just described is really, really interesting because it just, for me, it just showcases how many of us are asking less and less questions and also not asking the right type of questions. And therefore we're just fed you know, don't you feel like sometimes you're just like sitting there and somebody's just like feeding you information, like believe this and believe that. And we're just, you know, you know, getting um, uh, manipulated. Um, and so if you're not in the habit of asking questions, then it becomes very, very easy to fall into the trap. You should probably give us a quick crash course. And why am I saying this? Because you say, you know, um, social media is taking away the ability for us to become critical thinkers, right? Mm -hmm. And it's only getting worse now that we have mm -hmm. now that we have platforms such as ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. Getting worse. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, now some college students are using it to write their essays, right? So it's like yes. how how bad can it get? No, it's pretty bad. So I'm actually going to ask you, so tell me exactly what's happening with this thing, because I feel like I've been out of the loop. I've had like drips and drops of information coming to me about this, but give me, just give me a crash course on what's been happening there. See, when you go to Google and maybe you say, yeah. you ask a question, let's say you type in, well, um, I don't know. Okay. For example, I want to reach out to you to invite you on the show. Mm. And I want to mm. check your background and study about you, right? So I could go and go mm. like that, um, brief history about Mimi Kalinda and, you know, her work and, you know, how she grew up and all that type of stuff, right? And mm. then to Google, it gives me option to select from. So I'll select maybe the first option, go in, read, take some notes, and then put them aside. Mm. And I'll probably type mm. another question. I'll go to Google, choose the one I want to read, and then write aside my summary. Yes. And then later on, yeah go to Gmail or whatever it is and then type my email with what I've I've learned about you and why I think it'll be a good fit to come on the show. Right. Right. Now what ChatGPT has achieved, instead of going and opening multiple pages and taking notes, mm. now I could mm. go to ChatGPT and say, I have a podcast about storytelling and entrepreneurship mm. in the African continent. And I'm interested in inviting Mimi Kalinda on the show. Can you write mm. a to invite Mimi Kalinda on their own experience. And it tries wow. with wow. what I've been researching. So I just copy yeah. and paste. So people are also doing the same in university, right? So if they have to write mm. about, you know, uh, the impact of social media in the African continent. So someone could just go to chat GPT and write the impact of social media in the African continent. And it tries the whole essay for them. Crazy, crazy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wonderful in a way, isn't it? Like, I mean, it, I, I mean, it's just, it's really mind-blowing how far we've come. Of course, it's going to have the thing. The thing with technology is that we have to be, we have, we have to embrace it, first of all, because it, we're just going to continue to evolve. Secondly, we have to really applaud the benefits that it brings us. Um, and then thirdly, we just need to be, we need, we need to not stop being human in the sense that we need to be able to be able to question what's right, what's not right, what's ethical, what's not ethical. Those I don't think are things that machines can do at this point. Perhaps we'll get there at some point. But you know, all of those questions, there so there's a space in which we can coexist technology and then what human beings bring to the table but yes i can see how that would be very very dangerous um in so many different contexts but i'm personally excited by it i mean you have to they say it's either you adapt or you die exactly exactly so yeah it is where you perfect spot yeah where do you find the balance yeah, yeah. exactly and so can you also now give us a quick crash course on critical thinking for our users who haven't had the opportunity to be able to learn it either in college or on any courses themselves? 
That is so much pressure. I mean, I did a whole year of critical thinking and you're asking me to summarize it in a few seconds on a podcast. That's just impossible. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's really, just to summarize it, it's really basically about asking the right questions, um, being able to, so one of the things that we used to do is we used to read a lot. So first of all, what you just mentioned, you know, like how algorithms will get you to see what you want to see or what you've shown uh, that you're prone to be interested in. Um, one of the things that, you know, we were required to do was to read as vast an array of things on a particular topic as you can possibly get your hands on, right? So for example, let's just take technology because we're talking about technology. Like read all the stuff that is anti-technology. Read all the stuff that is pro-technology. Read all the stuff that's in the middle. So I think for me, critical thinking is also having access to as many schools of thought, to as many perspective and lenses as possible and that's one of the things that we've stopped doing don't you think it's like if I believe this then I'm going to focus on everything that I can find that justifies my beliefs and completely ignore what other people's perspectives might have been so for me it's about like being able to have a rich uh uh perspective or access to different schools of thought that even challenge your own but that's an uncomfortable place to be as a human being because we don't like to like if I believe something I want people around me books around me everything around me that basically says Mimi you're 100% right in what you're saying I don't want to have anything that challenges my point of view but yet that's how we grow, right? That's how you're able to go to the next level. So, and even, I mean, on a very practical sense, like who wants to be, I mean, we tend to want to have, for example, friends that all think the same. Or, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, which I am in my case, one of the, the uh, recent pieces of research that was released was that you're going to tend to hire people or work with colleagues who think the same way as you do. And I mean, what a poor workplace that would be in terms of diversity of thought and just what people are able to bring to the table. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, when you're hiring, like have as part of your hiring committee, as many people with as many diverse opinions and points of view as possible so that you can start to build that richness within your team. So if there was any crash course that I would say, you know, that I would, you know, crash, I suppose, tips that I would share is surround yourself with diversity, read as much as possible in, 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 um, around specific, uh, uh, topics. So, um, as many perspectives as you can possibly get your hands on, and then just get into the habit of asking questions, you know? I mean, I have so many questions for you and it's your podcast. Like, I just want to ask you questions, but maybe that comes from the fact that I used to be on the other side of the mic as well. Yeah, it usually feels very different when you're on the other side. <laughs> it does. <laughs> feel free to ask me any questions that you have. I agree, right? I think people need to, to read, you know, what they agree with, what they don't agree with and what's in the middle. Mm. Because mm. one of the effects of, I mean, a negative effects of social media really is the fact that it's prone to confirmation bias, right? Mm -hmm. what, like, what it's going to show you, it's not going to show you something that you don't, agree with or you don't, you don't like but i think exactly comfortable with their with the ability of sitting down with people we disagree with and listen to them and try to understand them rather than just listening to those who we agree absolutely. with or those we agree with absolutely and you've just said a very interesting important thing which is listening i mean we don't listen as much as we need to be listening it's such a listening is such an incredible skill um and one that needs to be developed because you know, I, I often do um, storytelling workshops with entrepreneurs and leaders and executives, etc. And there's a part in my workshops where I speak about um, the power of silence and how human beings and the human brain and psychology is very afraid of silence. So if we're talking, if you're in a room, I mean, I'm sure you've, or you've 
experienced this in some situations. The moment there's silence, we feel like we need to fill that silence with words. And so we're almost preconditioned as human beings to talk as much as possible. Like silence makes us uncomfortable, but there's such power in silence. And the same kind of train of thought with silence is, is we also need to train ourselves to listen, you know, to be able to really be present in a conversation, listen to what the other person has to say um, and, uh, and not have to add or subtract or anything like that, but just to listen. So, um, I mean, you know, this is also, I'm sure a lot of uh, women would, will, will relate. This is a conversation I have with my partner all the time. It's like, can you just listen? You know, like, especially you, you know, you guys tend to want to come up with solutions. Like I haven't even finished telling you what I need to say, but you've already like have like 10 different plans that you want to answer. Um, listening skills, guys. I'm a huge advocate of that. Have you, have you read the book Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus? One of my absolute favorite books. I think it's so, so true. Everything he says in that book. Unfortunately for me, I think I read it a little bit too late in life after I'd done all the contrary and opposite of everything that he basically says in the book. But such a great book, right? Such a great book. Yeah, it is. And what What are some of your favorite books at the moment? Uh, well, now that depends because I have to put them in categories. But right now, okay. I'm, I'm reading Franz Fanon's book, Black Skin, White Masks. So fascinating, mm. right? So fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, that book and then Robert Greene. I'm a huge fan of Robert. Huge fan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what, 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 book, what book of his are you reading? I'm reading Laws of Human Nature. I've started reading it for the mm -hmm. past two years. I'm not yet done. Okay. Because I I don't nice. read, I don't necessarily read it. I think I I I study it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Robert Greene, huge fan. And then there's also Ryan Holiday, huge fan too. And then there are also like Tanzanian authors, like uh there's a guy called Eric Shigonko. He writes novels, but in Swahili. Mm, He's, mm, I've heard of him. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mm. I'm a huge fan of reading. I love reading. I love the idea of being able to tap into people's brains and you know pick yeah things from them. But yeah, for those who haven't read uh the book I just said earlier, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, maybe you could give them uh, a bit of a synopsis. Okay, before I do that, just let me add to your reading list as well. Um, I think one of my the two books that I'm so I read two books at a time sometimes. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or not, but the one book I'm reading is uh, The Founders by Jimmy Sonny, and that is the story of PayPal. So Elon Musk and you know his crew and how PayPal came to be and kind of the background story behind that. Absolutely fascinating. Love it. Um, the other one that I'm currently reading is The Big Leap. I don't know if you've heard of The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Um, and essentially speaks about um, how to tackle what he calls your upper limit problem. Like he talks about how each one of us has a zone of competence, a zone of excellence, and a zone of genius. And how very few of us ever end up living in their zone of genius because we live in our competence. And then for those of us who excel past the confidence, the competence, we might only live in our zone of excellence, but only probably 1% of the population ever goes into genius. Yes, it's absolutely accessible to all of us. So very, very fascinating book. Um, but going back to uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The one thing that I remember from the book, so, I mean, it's, it is what it, the book says, basically. It's about how women and men operate differently, um, specifically when it comes to relationships and partnerships, marriage, et cetera. Um, and a key thing that I realized, the, the one lesson that I realized is that if you, uh, if you, are able to understand how um, naturally the other gender operates, sees the world, understands the world and themselves in it, 
you're able to support them rather than push against the tide, which is what happens in a lot of relationships. So one of the key things that I learned, and there's so many different things, but I mean, one of the things that I learned about the, the uh, about men in particular was this idea that you guys can retreat into what he calls a cave. I was like, what is the cave? And what are they doing in the cave? Like, I can't even imagine, you know, but he explained the whole concept of the cave and how from time to time, you know, you need to retreat from the situation. That's where you go to figure things out. You know, that's where you go to, uh, to really realign yourself with your own reality and that uh, we shouldn't follow you into the cave. Like your partner should not follow you into the cave. That's like your place, right? And then about women, it was about, you know, what I learned was um, that we're the opposite. The more we have things that bother us, the more we need interaction and talking and, and, and. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's a, it's a lovely book really. And I love the way that it's narrated. I, um, I listened to it on Audible instead of reading it because I love the way that he narrates the story. And what's interesting recently, I just, uh, I saw a research that was conducted on uh, 1000 men and they realized that they spend at least seven hours each year in the bathroom so they can just have some silence and some peace <laughs> oh my goodness there's no way no way that it's is crazy real. Real. i was like wow. here we go so when you started yeah story, like, yeah i mean so it, it's it's true right so they can just get it's out it's a true you know, thing they can just be yeah. themselves and the silence and away from their partners and their kids and it's so fascinating yeah. right it's fascinating it's fascinating yeah yeah one of the things I want to do more this year is to read African books, right? Or books written mm -hmm. by either African authors or about Africa. And mm. I think I want to do that because most of the times we really read a lot of books, but how many books do we read that are about the continent? Especially, you know, someone like you and myself who are storytellers, right? Mm. And so if you have any book recommendations, you know, I'm open to them. Look, there's so many, I don't even know where to start. Um, so for me, I recommend by author. And the first, the, I just think, go and find every single book that was ever written by Chinua Achebe and read it. And then you can go from there. Because from there, you'll, for me, it was like a foundational, I mean, I read things fall apart in high school and it was required reading. Um, and that for me was like the foundation for, almost everything that I started to do in the space of activism and media afterwards. So um, start with Chinua Achebe. He's a great place to start if you're not into African literature, and then you can evolve from there. You'll find others and you'll find others, but just some someone to plant the seed in terms of reading African books, Chinua Achebe is great. Yeah, I've, I've read a couple of his books, Chinua Chebe and Kugiwa Thiongo, but I think I have to do, mm. more. I have to read more books. You have to read more. And what I love about Chinua's books was that they are, they're activists. I mean, he was an activist, right? In the space of, but using African stories as a tool. Um, but the way that he tells these stories are just so fascinating, his protagonists and his characters and, the, you know, oh. he really puts you in the space of where he is when he's telling the story. So I'm such a huge fan of Mr. Achebe. Yeah, likewise. I mean, we have some brilliant storytellers in the continent like people are brilliant telling stories like really good but the question is yeah. how do you bring them on the stage right how do you put them on the spotlight absolutely absolutely yeah 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 well i mean they're out there um you know i've, I've recently started doing some work with an organization called the Kane prize for literature I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, you know they do some great work around really highlighting, spotlighting, and rewarding African excellence in literature. Um, so there is there is plenty out there, and more and more of them to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 
And I'm saying we need to put them on the spotlight because in as much as they're there, they're doing great work. Unfortunately, most Africa Africa's young people don't even know about them, right? They don't read about them. They don't hear their stories. It's like when you speak about entrepreneurship, right? Like the stories mm-hmm. you hear are stories of, I don't know, like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, the normal guys, right? But then it's hard for you to hear stories such as those of, you know, Tony Elumelu or Busi Tembekwayo or Mohamed Deuji. And I think we need to do a better job at that and, you know, trying to create African heroes for Africa's young people. Absolutely, but yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And there's so many of them. And everybody that you've just named, from you know Avusi to Tony and Amelu, etc. Incredible stories. Dangote, you know, um, the um. But my question also is like, you know, when we talk about you know African stories don't reach Africans or Africans don't have, don't consume um African literature, for example. And also my pushback is, it's 2023, like somebody doesn't have to pick up a book, a physical book to be, to read it, you know? So we also have to start innovating in that space in terms of getting our material in front of the right audiences uh, to be able to consume. Um, so, you know, not everybody has access to an audible or an audiobooks or those apps that, you know, people are using nowadays to be able to consume content. How else can we tell these stories? So I think we also need to push ourselves. And I, to be fair, because I know you're going there next, I don't have the answers, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying we need to become more innovative in terms of how we package the stories to reach the maximum amount of people possible. I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I think... We need to be more innovative. And the best part, well, Africa has innovative people, right? So most definitely yes. see some yes. innovative, innovative solutions out there. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. What's the story that you have read? Because I believe you have come across a lot of stories on the continent. But what is one that you read and it blew your mind and you went like, this is not possible? Mm. You know, I mean, it's really, I'm going to have to deviate from my usual positive self on this one, because the story that I read recently that really blew my mind was one that I shared um, actually on LinkedIn and all my platforms, etc., about this little girl that was recently abducted from her family in South Sudan and sold for the equivalent of like $250 or something like that uh, to militia. Um, And um, and if you go to my Twitter page, um, you'll be able to see that I think it's probably something that I've posted on Twitter that's had the most engagement Um, just because the video of that girl, you know, they filmed her, the militia filmed her. And there was also a, undercover journalist kind of covering the story. And I've never seen so much sadness in somebody's face and just desperation. So yes, I speak about positive stories, but I think the shift in narrative also happens because there's balance in the stories. Uh, We can't ignore the bad stuff to only emphasize the positive stuff that would not be realistic of what's happening on the continent. So right now I'm really passionate about raising the alarm in what's happening in South Sudan because nobody's really talking about it this issue of human trafficking and specifically when it comes to children um so if you ask me like what story I've recently read that's really kind of impacted me emotionally it's that one um because I feel so helpless apart from being able to share the stories on platforms like these and others to say somebody do something somewhere um, and there are and I commend and I'm so incredibly inspired by the people who are doing something about these things but um, it makes me feel helpless it makes me feel desperate to raise visibility of these issues that nobody's talking about. Um, so yeah, let's celebrate the good stuff, but let's also, for those who have the platforms, 
raise your voices against the things that we still desperately need to work on on the continent. Thank you so much, Mimi. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely catch up sometimes again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If you enjoy our content and find value, kindly do me a favor by subscribing to the channel. Your subscription helps us grow and gives us the power to bring you the guests that you want to see on the show. In keeping up with that, we'd like to thank our today's sponsors, Megatrust Inc. Megatrust Inc. is a company that empowers individuals like yourself and organizations to create an impact in their community by investing in them. Check out the website today, www.megatrustinc.com. That's www.megatrustinc.com to see how they can help you achieve your goal.